Art of the Kickstart, Episode 70. Welcome to the theartofthekickstart.com, where entrepreneurs are constantly pushing the envelope to build businesses of greatness. Inventors are innovating and creating the products of the future, and backers stand strong for what they believe. These are some of the great thinkers, inventors, and leaders of our time. Here are their stories. Before we jump into the interview, if you're looking for crowdfunding fulfillment, make sure you talk to eFulfillmentService.com. They're a small company. That means they've got your back. Check them out. Guys, one of the questions that I've been getting a ton from listeners is how do I know if my Kickstarter campaign is absolutely ready to launch? It's ready to dominate. So you know what? I created a 23-step success guide based off the 80 inventor interviews that I've done This will take you step-by-step through launching your Kickstarter campaign, making sure you have everything that you need to make it happen. Artofthekickstart.com slash checklist to get our 23-step guide to making sure you're ready to kill it on Kickstarter. Check it out, guys. Guys, welcome to Art of the Kickstart. Today, I'm pumped to have Eric Barnes, the founder and CEO of Core Water, a company that's changing the way that you look at water on the program today to share his story with not one, but two successful Kickstarter campaigns, one of which is still running, probably done by the time this interview airs, but they're absolutely killing it, building a business around the globe. I want to share that story. Thank you for coming today, Eric. I'm pumped to talk to you. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate uh, inviting me. So before we get into the business success, what you've been doing and why we have you on here, I need a life quote, a success quote, something to get people pumped up. Do you got anything? Uh, Wow, that's that's an on-the-spot. You know, I think the quote that always gets me, because even at the age of 46, I find that I always want more and I want to, I don't have enough. And you're always striving for, you know, for greatness. And, and some days you're killing it, some days you aren't. But I think the quote of do what you can with what you got where you are is one I embrace all the time, which is there's never a perfect time. You have to just do, do it now. And I think everyone's got different means, different momentum. But the bottom line is if you do that, you're going to be successful. Absolutely. You start something. But I got to follow up on that. So you said you're always shooting for more. And that's kind of the entrepreneurial, the motivated mindset of I'm going to get better, 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 better at the gym, better at the business, better at life. How do you live? How do you function like that? If there is no ever any end goal, what's kind of take us through that? I know you know what I mean. Take us through the story. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs share a common theme, which is their you know, they're driven by wanting to see something different and, and express themselves, completely self-actualize themselves, you know, by making that difference happen or whatever that goal is. And it's something that even when you conquer, you know, a goal or that goal, you're continually resetting the bar. And, you know, I think I think growing up, I, I can recall, you know, my, my mom at one point just saying, Eric, you know, every now and then she just stop and appreciate where you are, you know, as opposed to sort of tucking away whatever the achievement is. And going for that next goal. And I think that's, you know, when you can sort of see both sides of that and embrace it, I get that there's always another goal. And, and I, but I also try to appreciate the journey and, and the successes. And that's not to say that, you know, you don't want to take time off and, and enjoy what you've accomplished. But I think, you know, part of, part of the passion of being an entrepreneur is continue to sort of improve on, on what you've accomplished. And, you know, we all get fired up by each other's successes and we learn from each other's failures. And I'm, I'm a constant learner, constant student. I'm always trying to teach others or just share what I've got because I don't have it all figured out. But I'm, I'm also trying to be mentored myself. And I think that's, you know, that's the, the, 
the fun of being an entrepreneur is just being this constant learner, but driven, you know, to success. Absolutely. And that's why I'm glad to get you on here because you are an experienced entrepreneur that's been doing this for a while. You said you started the business, started making the products in 2008. And it sounds like you've learned just so much from doing that. Take us back to the story of Core Water. How did you guys get started? Where'd the mission and the vision come from? Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting story because it really is sort of a wormhole that I fell into. I had a background coming out of, out of school, sort of Ivy League degree, economics major, did a little short stint in Wall Street, New York, a year or two. I realized that just wasn't, wasn't, I could do it, but it wasn't me. I've always been into media and entertainment, and I've, I had a career at HBO, uh, home box office here in the States, and um, EMI Music, a record label, doing business. Always scratched that sort of business side of the brain. But I think it was a chance to be an entrepreneur when I got to my 30s that I had, had a lot of confidence in what I was doing and realized that that's really what I enjoyed. So I started some, a couple software startups. One, one was an e-commerce company, another one was an e-learning site. And I had these companies going and things were going well. And I was always dumbfounded by, I'd go to a, a client company, I'd walk into a, you know, a company and then you go to the conference room and they'd order up 10 water bottles. Hey, go grab some water from the fridge. And everyone at the meeting would, would have their, their bottled water and they'd take a sip and then chuck, you know, about, you know, all these 10 bottles that they had maybe a sip taken out of them into the garbage. I thought like, this is just appalling. So I wanted to get a reusable bottle. I wanted to do something about it. And I went, I went to the sporting goods store to get a reusable bottle. And this is 2004, 2005. And everything on the shelf looked like a camping bottle. And I just thought, there's no way I could take this to, you know, to the office. This is not, this just doesn't work. And I saw the opportunity to take industrial design, which was happening in other categories that were being reinvented, where, where the packaging, you know, whether, whether that's a liquor bottle or a cologne bottle, this idea that you create this beautiful package and it would uh, it would attract the consumer you know visually and I thought what if what if a reusable bottle could be more than just you know hold water what if it could be something that is really innovative looks awesome it says something about you it functions better there you know most bottles you just screw up the cap and maybe they they were sort of like dangling off the side like the Nalgene bottles and and even Camelback great great products but I wanted something that was just a step up and so. I went off the deep end and hired an industrial design firm, and I spent three years sort of noodling this this grand sort of like Tesla concept. I was going to create, you know, the reinvention of the bottle, and it, it was something that really stretched the limits of my skills and my pocketbook. You know, my family thought I was crazy. I, I have a family of engineers. I'm not one of them, but uh, they, they scratched their head and said, you know, what are you doing? And when it came out in 2008, you know, the joy of being an entrepreneur is when you release your baby to the world and it connects in such a way that, that people people sort of appreciate it. And this was one in, in 2008 when we published the core one. It immediately became this Internet meme that, that propagated not only in the U.S., but around the world. And that set in motion this just real passion to create this company around water and using design to build a brand. See, it's really interesting. I'm listening to the story. And initially, it's you sound like the stereotypical serial entrepreneur. You're the person that sees an opportunity and takes advantage of it. But at the same time, you've been doing this since 2004, 2005. You've been committed to this mission, which I think is really cool. You're trying not only to increase the aesthetics, make an Apple-ified water bottle for the users, but to create something that's more sustainable, a better option than these water bottles you see everywhere that people are just throwing out. I mean, what are the stats? It's something like 
millions of times they stretch to the moon every single year. That's it's unheard of and it's absurd. I love what you guys are doing. That's why I wanted to get you on here. How do you go forward with product design, though? Becoming known for something like this sustainable, reusable, yet sexy water bottle. What do you guys do to innovate year over year, come out with new products? You've had two Kickstarter campaigns already that have raised almost a third of a million dollars. What makes stuff new, unique, and sellable? So I think, I think with design, every, everybody has design skills innately. And I think we all, as both consumers and suppliers, of, we have friends and we, we get influenced by them. We watch people. I think when, when we started CORE, I really embraced not only my own internal instincts of what I wanted personally, but we learned to become sort of anthropologists. We, we watch people, we read the news, we, we go to the malls, we look at consumer behavior. And I've always, I've always sort of marveled at just the way behavior and new normals take form. So there's certain things that, you know, if you introduce them today, maybe they don't take, the market's not ready for them. And that's because the behavior's not there. There could be other reasons. But but essentially, we saw an opportunity, you know, when we first launched to use design thinking to embrace this desire for people to be sustainable. In 2004 or five. there was really a um, a desire of everyone wanting to go eco and green. And, and we wanted to do it through inspiration, not through guilt. So instead of you know, um, uh, guilting people about, hey, you're drinking bottled water. We don't talk about bottled water so much. So that's for other people to do. We try to inspire them with just an over-the-top awesome product. And I think we've continued to do that as a study consumer behavior and look at whether it's material, things like you know, training towards glass and steel, which are two categories really growing. With, with, with the filtered bottle, Nava, we launched the Core Nava it was a filtered bottle that, that we kind of reinvented by putting a subscription behind it. We saw a growth in consumer behavior to where people wanted to have simplicity, you know, sort of set it, forget it. And so we took that and we applied it to a filter bottle and said, well, you know, you need to know when to change the filter and you need to have them, you know, available just when it's time to change. And the, the Britas of the world and others were sort of just selling a product, not thinking about that. And so we, we set about to solve those problems. So with everything we do, we try to we try to watch consumer behavior and stay one step ahead of the curve, and it, it's fun because another thing is when you can step into whatever your whatever your market is, whatever you're developing, don't be afraid to get into it if you're not necessarily skilled in that market or, or you're an outsider. I was an outsider to consumer products, and I think the one thing I've learned is for everything that you don't know, you probably gain more by stepping into it with new eyes and the ability to see things that others miss. Because that's how you disrupt a category. You know, if you've already, if you've been steeped in a category your whole life, you're probably not going to come up with moonshot ideas. And I think there's something about being able to uh, come in as an outsider. And we, we embrace that. We embrace the idea that we're not consumer goods people. We're, we're figuring it out every day. But that allows us to sort of like go off the reservation and, and come up with just crazy stuff. I'm really impressed by two different things you just said there. So the first was your strategy towards building the business and the product. You want to be more of a happiness-focused product. You don't want to guilt people into this. You don't want to have negative emotions associated with the products you're creating. You want it to be purely positive. Other people are doing the negative marketing for you, but you're building a business that's it's going to have a better basis with consumers. You guys are going to be seen in a better light because of how you're treating people. In general, not trying to guilt them, you're building something that actually they're going to love. And I think that's something huge for inventors to hear. Do your best to make your product and your business 
something that people want, not something they feel forced to take. And then the other thing that you were mentioning, what was it? Shoot, that's the problem with having two thoughts. Well, the yeah. other the other thought's gone at this point. But, well, being, being an outsider, seeing with new eyes. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Pulling in people from the outside, you can't necessarily innovate from within. That's why big companies are always so stuck, and it's the little guys like you that are making crazy stuff happen. What are some of the challenges that you've had once you decided to go to crowdfunding for these two campaigns? You've launched a $260,000 campaign. You've got a $62,000 campaign ending soon for a cool new pour-over-the-top water filter. What did you guys do and prepare for Kickstarter to make this much success happen? You know, so Kickstarter and I think crowdfunding in general is, is an amazing sort of platform. And, you know, it's one of those things, again, when we talk about consumer behavior, people years ago probably wouldn't have been ready to do something like this. But I think the sort of arm's length distance between a brand and its consumers dissolving and it's accepted that you're allowed to get close with your consumers to actually show them your cards, to let them into your backyard. And as we started Core from the beginning, we've always tried to be a little transparent and share our stories being entrepreneurs. And you get a lot from that. What you get is you get the, you get the sort of uh, compassion of your consumer. So every company falls down and doesn't do things perfect. When you embrace that closeness, you get accolades for the good stuff. And then you also get forgiveness sometimes for the bad stuff. So Kickstarter was an opportunity for us when we, we launched the Cornava in 2013. It was a filter bottle and it had a lot of what I would call minor innovation that uh, delivered massive improvements. And so these were small things, a collection of which we put together, we thought was we made this a really special project. The, the issue with just making a product, which we'd done with four other bottles prior and making them and then saying, hey, world, here they are and retailer, would you like to order them, is you don't get to find out until it's released whether you know it, the world really likes it. And, and as much as we've got, I think, good gut instincts, this was one where we wanted to bring everyone into this project. Unlike a lot of Kickstarters where the product's almost like done and, and they're kind of crowdfunding for tooling, on both of the case, these cases, we have, we've had products that are truly still open-ended Yes, we have a game plan, but we're incorporating feedback from users into the development process. So with the Nava, Core already had an existing audience. We had to, to rally that audience for sure. I think with crowdfunding projects, what we've learned is it's all about, I mean, your blog's, you know, called, uh, your podcast is called Art of the Start, you know, Kickstart. And I think that really applies to, to Kickstarter projects. If you watch the numbers, if you're ever on, you're on KickTrack and you look at the funding tail, I think what is most important about a Kickstarter project is preparation. So months in advance, two to three months in advance, we began in, in both cases defining what we wanted to achieve, what our funding goal is. We reached out to media and tried to get some media placements because it's all about what I call a BYOA, bring your own audience. You know, it's it's you can't expect Kickstarter or other crowdfunding platforms just to deliver an audience to you. You have to bring the noise when you launch. And I think, you know, you also have to succeed early. So consumers that are on there are kind of watching the points on the board, the scoreboard, and everyone likes to be associated with the success. So I think, you know, for us, the big learnings were to sort of put all the work in up front with the planning, with the rewards, with the communication strategy. I mean, with Nava, we, we got so you know, uh, caught off guard by the early success of it. It actually outstripped what we thought we could do. We were playing catch up with the updates and the communication. 
And we took a lot of those learnings and we applied them to this one with Waterfall. Much different projects. It's not doing as high as Nava, but it's it's a success in every way that we planned. We wanted to introduce the concept and and raise awareness of the product before it came out. So, you know, I think with Kickstarter, it's really about it's about the planning. And then you've got 30 or 60, whatever your timeline is to sort of manage that. But you got to set the plan before you get into it. Absolutely. And this is the biggest issue that I have and that crowdfunders have. A lot of times I'll have clients come to me and they've already been running a few weeks into their campaign. They're like, oh my God, I'm running behind. What do I do? And a lot of times you just can't come back from that. There's so much effort that you put in. Like you were saying, those months in advance of preparing for a Kickstarter campaign, that's make or break. That's how you make your Kickstarter campaign happen. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because people need to start earlier than they think they need to start. I want to jump into the launch round now. How does it sound, Eric? That's great. Have you ever wrapped up a thousand rewards and shipped them out to your backers when you're pressed for time? It is no fun. Trust me. If you're thinking about running a Kickstarter campaign and you're going to make it big, artofthekickstart.com slash EFS for your crowdfunding fulfillment. It'll help you make it that much easier. Welcome to the launch round, where we take our guests through a series of rapid fire questions geared towards unlocking the inner inventor and entrepreneur in all of us. Get ready to blast off and unlock your inner potential. Let's do this. Guys, I have an awesome update I want to tell you about. I asked you guys, what do you need? What's holding you back from crowdfunding success, from building the business you all want to build? Overwhelmingly, it was challenges with Kickstarter, launching campaigns. You guys wanted a step-by-step course walking you through exactly what it takes to succeed on Kickstarter. So that's what we're building. Welcome to the Art of the Kickstart launch course. If you guys go to artofthekickstart.com slash course, you can check out and pre-order the course that's going to take you through each and every single stage of running a successful Kickstarter campaign. This is based off of 80 inventor interviews, consulting with clients, and working so much more with crowdfunding. If you want a step-by-step guide to take you through exactly what it takes to succeed, this is for you. Pre-order today or just learn more at artofthekickstart.com slash course. So Eric, as a sustainability-focused entrepreneur, where do you see the future of social entrepreneurship going? People that are actually doing good in the world. How do you make the most out of that? And who are some people that you look up to? Yeah, so I've had a, I've had a whole sort of a revelation about social entrepreneurship. I think, I think the world is changing and, and the idea of for-purpose, for-profit companies is a wonderful thing. So you know, not-for-profits, they do great jobs, but they, they struggle with, you know, some of the tactics that I think for-profit companies can develop. Social entrepreneurship is a great thing. The one thing I would caution and I've learned is we all need to watch, you know, how strongly we wear that social cause on our sleeve. And I'll say we've been guilty of it. You know, it's easy to sort of talk about all the good things that you do in the world, but it's, and certainly you should get credit for it and you should let your, your consumer know about it. But it borderlines sometime, you know, on the greenwashing or let's call it the social washing, where uh, if you buy my product, you know, we give a certain percentage, you know, to, to this cause over there. And I think all that stuff is great. But it's also been I think the world is waking up that it's kind of conspicuous consumption to us where we are sort of mental space now is core wants to do good in the world with our product. We want to make a great product. We want to personally tell you what we do, but we're not going to wear it on our sleeve like a bunch of Boy Scouts, because I think part of our brand is we all fall down. We all can't be perfect. We don't want to be judged just like we don't we don't judge. We support a lot of water causes. We're really interested in doing great things. And the reason we do CORE is really to align our passion and our mission for, for making a difference in the world. 
But I think we also want to always check ourselves to make sure that that's, you know, not the reason we're doing that is not so that we can put that on our website on the front page and broadcast it. And I think consumers are getting kind of smart. But, you know, I applaud Tom's shoes that kind of innovated and started this whole thing. I, I applaud a lot of there's a company called Pips that we're working with that's doing some really cool stuff, trying to reward consumers for uh, buying sustainably and doing good things. So you can actually benefit from when you do make good choices. And certainly uh, Charity Water, who's been a partner of ours for a long time. I mean, they're not a consumer brand per se, but they use, you know, what's amazing is they use consumer brand tactics to rally consumers. And that's why they're so effective is they do it with style and design and they articulate a great story and they're, they're doing great things. So I always look at as a, as an entrepreneur, the uh, social causes that are using sort of for profit brand techniques to spread their message. Cause I think it's, it's really amazing and powerful when you can connect with the consumer and, and get them to actually change their behavior because of what, of what you're selling. Absolutely. I think you bring up some great points there, especially the have a mission, not a marketing mission where you're just using it to sell. That's huge for people that are creating a business. Don't just be a scammy salesman. Next question for you, Eric. Did you have any entrepreneurial role models or people you looked up to growing up that gave you great advice that got you or helped you get to this point today? Yeah, you know, I, I did. I think I look back at, at growing up and, I, you know, I was in college I paid my way through college selling T-shirts, and I think one of the, uh, you know, one of the first guys was actually a classmate of mine. His name, Greg Lauren. He's actually related to the the Ralph Lauren family, but he was as much a hustler and entrepreneur as I was, and taught me a lot about being an entrepreneur in college. You know, later, you know, I've learned from a host of people. I was in the, the whole dot com boom in the in the late '90s, and in the early 2000s, and I think there are quite a few folks. When I worked in the record industry, you know, I wasn't close to him, but Jimmy Iovine at, at Interscope was an entrepreneur back then. And I worked at uh, EMI Music and ran around with the same sort of crew that was trying to innovate in, uh, in the Internet. And it's amazing to see what he's done now with Beats and still doing it. So I'm always reaching out to folks for advice. I've got a call this Friday with another sort of consumer brand entrepreneur that I think is just doing amazing stuff uh, with his company, Hello Products. And I'm always inspired when I see, you know, other entrepreneurs just doing great stuff. And what's cool is I go on LinkedIn or whatever, and I, I just lay it out there. I say, hey, I'm a huge fan, and I, I've, I've seen, you know, what you've done, and it's inspired me. And I ask, I ask them if they'll take a few minutes to just talk to me. I'm sure your background and profile helps you with those reach outs as well. It sounds like you have an absolutely amazing background building businesses. We could have a whole entire interview just on what you've done, and we probably wouldn't be able to cover it. But my next question for you Something that seems really important about Core Water is aesthetic design, beauty. What are some of the most beautiful products out there that you guys look up to, try to emulate in your own? Yeah, so so in design, I think there's, I mean, you, you could walk, I don't know where I start. I mean, I think if I walked into Design Within Reach, I could point out about everything in, in, the, uh, in the retail store. You know, design-wise, when, when we look around, I think, you know, we look at uh, liquor bottles, I'll go into a Sephora store and I'll look, I'll look at some brands and their packaging. I think in the auto industry, there's a lot of like great design. You know, I don't, I don't know that there's any one, you know, one design. I mean, I think I have brands, personal favorite brands like Nixon, you know, Nixon watches and, and what they do, which is really amazing stuff. I love what's going on with, you know, guys like Warby Parker that are doing it with eyewear. 
there is, um, what is it? Oh, that's the problem is I can never remember the name of the brand. Their sites uh, and partners, we work with a group called Touch of Modern. They've got an amazing e-commerce site and they curate just incredible stuff. There was just another one today called AHA Life that we were talking to. And, you know, it's just, we look across the aisle. There's no sort of, it's not just in water bottles. I, I never start design by just looking at our category. It's typically we take, we borrow and we take, you know, ideas from other product categories and try to relate that back to what we're doing. The absolute designer. You're able to completely explain what you love without helping any designers or any non-designers out there understand. It's just one of those things. It's internal or it's not. Guys, find a designer if you don't have great design skills. That's what you're going to need to do. And my last question for you of the launch round, Eric. Business books, life books. Have there been any been super influential on you, on your life business journey that you'd want to share with listeners? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it, it started with college reading Atlas Shrugged, of course, which, which is, I'm sure many have read. But it, it's the inspiration of being an entrepreneur and appreciating a lot of uh, a lot of what goes into that. The story of John Galt. I think, you know, when I think about books that have, that have moved me, certainly uh, Steve Jobs is, is probably the most recent one, uh, the autobiography of his life. You know, I, I read a lot of marketing books, branding books. Seth Godin is a, is, is a popular one. I'll tell you, I, I've gotten more into outside thinking and trying to relate it back to kind of what we're doing as a company. And that's really where the powerful stuff has come from recently. The most recent book is called Ishmael by, by Daniel Quinn. And uh, it's really changed uh, a lot of my views about what I'm doing as an entrepreneur in the context of this world. And, you know, the one that is in my uh, bookshelf right now that I'm powering through is called The Holographic Universe. And they're not necessarily business books, but I will tell you that they've, they've sort of really scratched my creative side. Uh, and we, we bring that back. I bring that back to, to what I'm doing in business in terms of what core wants to be in this world. Because a lot of what we're trying to build, besides just physical products that are around hydration products, is the brand is about how hydration fuels the body and mind to be your best self. And the name core came from this idea that we all have a core, an internal core, that we're trying to balance. We want to we wanna be our best selves, but we sort of fall off the path. And so it's a very Buddhist sort of philosophy, this idea of just acknowledging that you're imperfect and, and you're trying to get better. And, you know, uh, people like hearing that. It's non-judgmental. It's, it's disarming. And so when we're building this brand of core, we're really trying to connect with people to empower them to say, you're awesome. You know, and what drives you, what what makes your core tick is much different than, than, than say, like the next person. But that's our mission. And right now it starts with hydration products, but we're going we're gonna to expand the brand and possibly get into other product categories at some point. But that's, that's really what, what fires me up when I think about building cores is, is not necessarily, you know, just the physical products, because that's certainly, that's certainly important and what you know, keeps the company going. But it's about making an impact. Absolutely. I'd recommend you check out Delivering Happiness by Tony Shea. It sounds right in line with what you guys are doing. And guys, if you're listening, artofthekickstart.com slash audible, you can get any of those books free to listen to. But let's go back to you guys, back to the business, Eric. So you've run two successful Kickstarter campaigns, but you've probably had some issues, mistakes along the way. What have you learned? What would you do differently launching a third campaign that others can learn from? Yeah, so I think I think we've learned a couple things. You know, definitely up front, 
you can't do enough of working to get media and press ahead of launch day. I think the, you know, the other thing that we've learned is to embrace every constituent, every audience that you've got and, you know, ask them not only to, to, to not only make them aware and, you know, everyone's always getting hit up on Indiegogo or Kickstarter. Hey, back my campaign, back my campaign. I think what we found out today is, is in the world of Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, what have you, is these are driven by, you know, uh, social graphs and anything that you can do to sort of enlist your network to help raise awareness. So, so the big thing I think we've embraced and still need to do a better job is, you know, at the outset of the project is to get people talking about it. So it may not be Gizmodo or the New York Times that's talking about, you know, your project on launch day, but don't underestimate the ability to connect, you know, your network and have them sharing or at least, you know, uh, posting about it. And I think a lot of people will do that if you ask. And what what happens is, you know, now these, you you know, Facebook is driven by you know, only bubbling up to the to the uh, the feed. You know what is being chatted about. So a lot of stuff doesn't even get seen anymore. I know, as, you know, as a brand that's got a got a got a brand page, it's it's sort of it's all about engagement. I think the other thing is this second project. We were much more uh, realistic with our delivery timelines. We put a March delivery with Nava. We had an August one, and while it, the product came and it was delivered in October, I think just putting ourselves in those two months of stress when your backers are, I mean, they don't, they don't bring pitchforks at you, but the noise just kind of really picks up as you start to miss your ship date. And I think in the outset, if you give yourself plenty of time, it's a lot easier to do that up front than it is to ask forgiveness later. So on delivery dates, it's another thing I, I would be uh, really on top of. Yeah, the other thing I think is we really fell down on international shipping. So we're an international brand. We had a lot of international backers. We, I think, did a decent job. I mean, we shipped everything to everyone, and we, we paid probably quite a bit more in shipping than we anticipated. But I think one of the things we didn't do was communicate properly about customs and uh, duties and things like that. And, and you can't control those things. But there are things you can do to sort of mitigate the cost on both sides in terms of declaration of value and things like that. So not to get into a lot of details, but I think I think ship when you ship international, don't underestimate it. I think I think shipping is can be equal if not even larger than the cost of the product itself. And and then the other thing is I think on the delivery dates is really plan, you know, plan for delays. And it's easier to do that up front than, than on the projects already already delivered. Guys, you heard it from Eric. He's run a bunch of businesses. This is his second campaign. This stuff is stuff you're not hearing, you're not thinking about ahead of time when you're new. But this is absolutely what you need if you want to make your Kickstarter campaign as successful as possible. Eric, thanks for coming on. You've shared a really cool story. Honestly, it was way better than I even expected. I had no idea about your background building all of these businesses, what you'd learned, or what you'd done with Core Water before Kickstarter. Thanks for coming on, sharing the story, and most definitely helping my listeners that want to get started building their own businesses. I got to give you a chance now. Pitch the waterfall. Pitch why people should come kicks out. Check out your Kickstarter campaign, which might be over when this le- releases. I'm not positive, but either way, guys, they're actual business. That means they're taking orders. So <laughs> g- give give me give me the little spiel. Give me a plug, Eric. Yeah. So again, everything we do at Ford starts with what would what would we do? We we don't think uh, mediocrity you know needs to be spread any further. So unless we have a, a crazy passion for something in hydration. 
we don't do it. And so in this instance, for two, three years, we, we looked at Brita pitchers, which we've all got, we've used, and it's a, it's a, it's a you know, common product. It filters water, does a great job. But for us, the issue was, okay, I've got this pitcher. It's got a reservoir in it that I fill up, the filters in it, and then it drip, drip, drips. And, you know, I, I've got this pitcher with this handle on it. It's plastic, typically. It's kind of cheap. I'm embarrassed to take it out at the dinner table. And even after the water's filtered, the reservoir and the filter is still in the pitcher. And, and we, we asked ourselves, why is that? You know, why, why is half the volume of this pitcher being taken up by this thing? And it's because it's, it's a three-in-one device. So, you know, sitting in Starbucks, we realized that there's a, there's a real artisan sort of movement of brewing coffee with a pour over, and it's brilliant. You just suspend the, the you know, the, the coffee grounds above the cup. And so with filters, it's the same thing. So, so the idea for Waterfall was this idea of creating a beautiful, incredible kitchen statement piece that lives on your counter. And what it does is it just suspends the filter and the reservoir above the carafe. And in this case, we've got glass carafes because in the kitchen and the home, Glass is a great option. You don't need to worry about the mobility or the portability of it like our water bottles. And so we created something that is sort of a step up from what's out there in the market. It's almost like a new category. It's the pour over water filter. And it comes with two. So it comes with the stand, a filter which lasts four months, which is twice as long as the regular, you know, filtered pitchers. So it's more sustainable. It filters out chlorine and chloramine. In the U.S., chloramine is a big, a big issue now. It's chlorine plus ammonia that is getting in more water supplies. And the carafes are glass, and it comes to two glass carafes and lids. So the idea is you can sort of just you fill it up, you pour it into the, uh, the reservoir up top, and you filter the water into the carafe. You cap that, put it in your fridge. Maybe you want to infuse your water. You want to put in lemons, limes. Maybe someone in your house likes just, you know, uh, room temperature water. The idea is you can bottle as many carafes as you want. We sell carafes separately. And so now you don't have this just single pitcher that is a sort of a linear process. You fill up and you use it and you have to wait till it's done to fill it again. So Waterfall is, is really something new and special. And what's exciting to us is it's, it's a platform where we're starting off with this basic filter. But much like you've seen with Keurig and K-Cups or you've seen Nespresso, we're really excited about looking at how with filtration and water enhancement, we can create different sort of filter concoctions on a subscription basis and really allow people in the home to have beautiful, you know, clean, pure water. I think that's absolutely amazing. And one thing I want to add, I can see this being very large in restaurants as well, where they want to appear much more high end, having nice little almost flasks of water for each table that are filtered. It's a cool approach either way to getting nice, clean, aesthetically poured water, something that people are actually going to enjoy doing over kind of a, a crappier piece of plastic. Yeah, that's right. Thanks. So so- I- oh, sorry. Keep going. Oh, no, no. I was just, just going to say, yeah, I think, I think the, world, the world's going more premium. And so, so people are looking for uh, nicer stuff. And to your point, there's an innovator's dilemma to incumbents. And so uh, that's, uh, that's why companies like Core exist. Innovator's Dilemma, another great book. Thanks so much for coming on today, Eric. You've been an absolutely amazing guest. I think you've been awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Have a great, yeah, have a great, it's a great night for you. I'll make it a great day for me. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Hey guys, I'm your host, Matt Ward, and I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Art of the Kickstart, where we believe inventors, innovators, and entrepreneurs are changing the world and bringing humanity forward into the future. 
If you liked the ideas in this episode, or you're interested in learning more about crowdfunding and how to kill it with your own Kickstarter campaign, you can check out more at artofthekickstart.com. And if you've been listening to the show, love the episodes, but you're not subscribed, that's got to change. You can go to artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes or slash Stitcher and get the episodes delivered magically to your phone. And if you like the show, I would love you forever if you leave a review on iTunes. It helps more aspiring inventors and creators out there find the show and find the information they need to kill it on Kickstarter. Until next time, thanks for tuning in, guys, and have an absolutely epic day.